I'm Marco Werman, and this is The World. These are uneasy days for South Africa. Former President Nelson Mandela remains in the hospital. He's suffering from pneumonia. Yesterday, the South African government said his condition was improving, but Mandela is 94, and this is the third time he's been hospitalized since December. His spokesman, Mac Marharaj, says Mandela saw visitors today. He spent part of the day with some members of his family, today being family day, and those members appreciate the support they have been receiving from the, fa- from the public. Even though Mandela has been out of office for years, it's painful for many South Africans to think of a South Africa without him. In some ways, he is South Africa, or at least what many of his countrymen wish it would be. He embodies the way South Africa shook off white minority rule of apartheid without violence, with grace, and by democratic election. A lot has changed since the days of apartheid. South African music, at least to many ears, used to be limited to the great sounds of township jive. But for the past few years, I've been hearing black South African musicians producing sounds that, frankly, don't sound very South African. You'll find heavy-duty rock elements and electronic beats that evoke headbanging more than they do township jive. None of this should be totally surprising, though. There's been a thriving underground punk scene in South Africa for decades, and that scene is getting more attention through a new documentary film, Punk in Africa. One of the bands featured in the doc is National Wake. The group sprang up in Johannesburg in the late 1970s, but their run didn't last long. That's because National Wake was a multiracial band trying to make it during apartheid. Marissa Neff has a story. Ivan Katie started the band National Wake with two brothers, Gary and Punka Koza. The three bandmates grew up in and around Johannesburg, but their experiences couldn't have been more different. While Ivan was raised in the white suburbs, Gary and Punka's family was forcibly moved to Soweto, where the apartheid government was consolidating the city's black population. A lot of their life has to do with the pain and um, anguish that that move caused because they felt pretty dislocated in Soweto. And when they first went to Soweto, I think they had a lot of trouble integrating. One of their brothers was, uh, I think, killed in the move, being strangers in a strange land. When a mutual friend introduced Katie to the Kusa brothers in 1978, he already knew he wanted to start a band with the name National Wake. Katie says it embodied his disillusionment with the apartheid regime and served as a call for its demise. When I met Gary and Punk and we started jamming, I just knew this is National Wake. You know, this was the band that fulfilled the promise of the name. It's a, it's a strange sort of thing for me how the name prefigured the actual lineup, but it did. Katie was an architecture student, and the communal house where he lived played a huge role in the formation of the band. The house was located in the white enclave of Parktown, but it was isolated enough for the band to practice without bothering neighbors and private enough for Gary and Punka to live there without raising suspicion. The trip from Parktown to Soweto was a, quite a long journey and actually, you know, filled with all sorts of potential hazards. And after a while, they just stayed. And this house eventually, which had started off with a um, bunch of students from the university, some artists, it gradually became the band house. And I mean, it was quite a scene. 
When the house was sold three years later, the band lost their safe haven, and things began to fall apart. Even their growing popularity fed into their troubles. As they started gigging at bigger clubs, often whites only, their black fans, who had been cheering on the band at underground venues and township clubs, were left out. And then there were the police visits. At times we were visited by the police three times a day. They took us in for questioning once or twice. They arrested uh, some of the band members at various times for not having permits. It was life during wartime. I mean, the bullets were uh, music. like International News illuminated the band's growing panic over what was going on in the country. The song is about how the South African press was censoring much of what was happening, and the refrain references the feeling of having a ticking bomb inside that's about to blow. It was very strange when I, for example, would go to the movies, which was then segregated, and I'd be part of the band and part of that reality, and I'd go to one of these places that was in the white reality, and I would feel just how blind, how everyone was asleep. They had no idea what was broiling. And I just say, I just feel the bomb, you know. I feel like the bomb is what would be needed to wake people up from this absolute sleep, you know. In 1981, National Wake released its first and only album. Soon after, the band disintegrated. In the decades since, Gary and Punkakosa died, both in their late 40s. These days, Ivan Katie works as an architect in Los Angeles. In 2011, Katie re-released the band's self-titled debut, 30 years after its first pressing. And there may be more. Oh, I'd say there's good um, 20 songs that have never been released. All of these recordings put together, they speak of the whole evolution of the band from a sort of naive, almost belief that we could miraculously change everything just by playing this music and making this thing manifest, to realizing what a struggle it was and what, what, um, what the country was going through and what it would go through. For The World, I'm Marissa Neff. <laughs> music so little time you can watch archival footage of national wake on stage in 1979 not to mention riots on the streets in south africa that's all at theworld.org